Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Russell D. Moore. He is the Dean of the School of Theology and Senior Vice President for Academic Administration. Wow, that's a mouthful at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. That's a school I myself have a great attachment to because I began my teaching career there. Russ, welcome to the Beeson Podcast. It is such an honor to be with you, Dr. George. Now, a lot of our folks will know you from your writing because you're a prolific author. Uh, You're the author of The Kingdom of Christ. You've written several other books, Tempted and Tried. And the one that we're going to focus on today is Adopted for Life. The Priority of Adoption for Christian Families and Churches. So, Russ, uh, you're a Southerner, I think. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and kind of what brought you uh, to this issue. Well, I uh, grew up in Biloxi, Mississippi, right outside of New Orleans. And uh, I've I've been here at uh, Southern and Louisville for several years. And the reason I wrote this book was actually to try to address people who are in the place that I was in. Uh, My wife and I had been through years of infertility and miscarriage. And at some point, uh, Maria came to me and said, "I, I think the Lord might be leading us to adopt and I had always thought of myself as pro-adoption because I'm pro-life and, and mm. pro-orphan, but my response was hesitancy and, and reluctance. And, and I remember saying, well, I, I really would love to adopt someday, but first I want to have our own kids, was mm-hmm. the way that I put it. I, th- those words haunt me uh, to this day because I didn't know uh, what I was saying. To me, adoption seemed like kind of a plan B Mm. Uh, for people who can't uh, have children or or people who want to help children in some kind of uh, charitable kind of way. But I wasn't getting that Ephesians 1, Galatians 4, Romans 8 gospel Mm. picture of adoption at all. And the Lord just really changed my life and changed my heart, which changed the way that I saw myself in relation to God the Father through Jesus Christ. And so as I was writing that book, I was trying to to write to to me at the beginning of that yeah, process, yeah. because so many people are there. Now, I want to come back in just a minute to the, the actual story of your children and your adopted children and how, how all that came about. That's fascinating. But just where you are right now, say a word more about the doctrine of adoption. You know, that's a great theme in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And um, the adoption you're, you're, you've been involved with, with your, your particular sons, is there a connection? What is the connection? One of the things that used to, to just drive me insane uh, after Maria and I were in the process of adopting the boys, we had received pictures of them. We knew where they were and, and kind of a little bit about their situation. And we would show people their pictures as we were waiting to get the call to go and pick them up. And people would always ask the same question, which is, are they brothers? Mm. And I would say, well, yeah, they are now uh, because they're they're our sons, and and people would always say, yeah, but are they really brothers? Uh-huh. Uh, and you know what I mean. And the more that I reflected on that, the more I realized that is exactly the point of what is going on in the New Testament. Mm. Is the Apostle Paul particularly is addressing the question to people from Jewish backgrounds and people from Gentile backgrounds: Are we really brothers? 
uh, together in Christ? And the answer is yes, because we have all come into the family of God through adoption. And if, Paul says, you have the Spirit of God, you, you cry out, Abba, Father, then you are children, and if you are children, then you are heirs. And so everything that it means to be a child of God which is one of the things I think sometimes people think there's some distinction between natural children and adopted children. So mm-hmm. you would say, these are my kids and these are my adopted kids. That's exactly what the New Testament is doing away with. There, right. There's no such thing as an adopted child. It's instead you are a child who was adopted. That's past tense. So no matter what your background is, it doesn't matter where you come from or or what it is that you've been involved in. When you come to Christ and when you come into the family of God, you have the exact same standing as any other child of God around the table. And that's really a a radical uh, kind of, of understanding. I think if our churches really understood that adopting power of God, then we wouldn't have churches that are so divided, where you have black churches and white churches and Mm. blue-collar churches and white-collar churches and Republican churches and Democratic churches, but instead that you would have churches that have a lot that they do not share in common, but who bear with one another because we're family and we have the the same spirit and the the same household. That is great. You know, that passage you were just quoting says, we are adopted as sons and daughters of God, but then it goes on to say, we are heirs of, of mm-hmm. a covenant of grace and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. So, That's... so we, we get a great brother in Jesus Christ yeah. who brings yeah. us right into the family of God in, in, in the most intimate and connected way possible. And, you know, one of the things, Dr. George, that really struck me, too, as, I'm, as I was looking at that Romans 8 passage, really while we were going through the uh, adoption process, is that language of, of Abba cry, mm. which I think we sometimes, we sometimes kind of read right over. Uh, when my wife and I went over to, to see our sons, we had to go to two trips to Russia where they were. And one of the things that really struck me when we walked into that, we walked into that orphanage in Russia was that it was completely silent. And I said to Maria, this place is quiet, and it's filled with babies. And through our translator, we we talked to the orphanage personnel, and they said, well, there's not enough people to rock babies and to go to them when they cry, and babies eventually will stop crying. Mm. Uh, the response is they, they cry because they want uh, someone to attend to them. And so after a week there with our sons, we would always go in and see them, and then when they told us we would have to leave, we would leave, and it was always in silence. Until the last day, we knew we had to leave them and come back to the United States and wait to be called to go back. And one of those boys, as we walked out of the room, fell on his face and screamed. And I told Maria, that's the most heart-wrenching, but the most beautiful sound I've ever heard, because he knows he has a mom and he has a dad. That's and when you come to Romans 8, uh, it says the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and I think sometimes people who struggle with assurance, they think that that's this internal sense of, uh, of, of confidence. And it's exactly, it's not that at all. Paul says it causes us to groan inwardly and to cry out with Jesus, Abba, Father. So sometimes I think people who think, well, I must not be a Christian because I don't have this sense of just blissful tranquility all the time. They actually are demonstrating that they are in Christ because they're being driven to to seek out their Father's face. That's wonderful. While we're still on theology, I want to ask you to comment on the connection you see between adoption in the New Testament and those other words that are also there, predestinated, elected. I know there's a lot of controversy about that in in the Mm -hmm. church today, 
but they're so intimately connected, aren't they, in the New Testament? Could you say a word about that? They are, and I think that sometimes people find those words scary because they don't understand them, and they assume that what this means is that God is is somehow not going to save some people who want to be saved Mm. uh, or, or something like that. All that election and, and predestination means uh, in Scripture, or, or at least the only reason that this is given to us, is to break down our pride, show us that we're, we're not here on our own standing, God came looking for us, and also to give us a sense of confidence uh, that, that we, we're not accidentally here. Uh, God wanted us to be here, and God's going to do what it takes to, to get us uh, where it is that he's taking us. Uh, one of the saddest things that I ever heard was from a woman who said that she was adopted uh, as, a, as a child, and her parents were trying to tell her, you know, we chose you, and her parents said, you know, we, we went through looking at all these other babies in the orphanage, and you were the one who was standing there smiling, and we just knew that was you. And she said, I know my parents were trying to reassure me, but it was actually a terrifying thing. Because she always kept thinking, well, what if I'd had a bad day that day, and I, I had been crying, and I wasn't smiling? And it gave her the sense that she had to perform uh, in order to be mm. accepted. Well, what Paul is saying is to these Gentiles who are coming into the, the church, and, and even right now people who are listening to this, you have people who are saying, you know, do I really fit uh, in the church? I, I come from an alcoholic background, or I... I just have all of this sexual immorality in my past, or I don't know how to find Habakkuk in the Bible. <laughs> and what the gospel says through predestination and election, however it is that you understand that, that God God invited you into this party. Mm. You're, you're not mm. uh, you're not showing up on your own. That's great. So adoption, in a way, is a kind of concrete example of God's grace. Exactly. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, I want to return to the story. This suggestion came from your wife, Maria. Yes, it and, did. And uh, you, you, you take us now back into Russia. How, how were these particular children chosen? I mean, uh, and you, you describe a graphic sense of the squalor of the place, the utter poverty in which you found them. That must have just been, uh, I don't know how you would describe something like that in your own emotions and feelings. Well, I'll tell you what still haunts me to this day is... When we went to pick the boys up from the orphanage, we had this uh, picture in our minds. Uh, you, you know how you, you imagine things ahead of time. And I thought we would come and pick the boys up, and there would kind of be uh, slow-motion uh, uh, graphics in the background and, and music playing, and the boys would just run to us, <laughs> and nothing happened that way. Mm. Instead, when we took them outside from the orphanage, they'd never been outside before. And so wind on their faces terrified them, and shadows, they, they just were, were terribly horrified by this. Getting into the car was traumatic, and I remember seeing them with their arms stretched out as we were driving away toward the orphanage. And I was trying to whisper to them, knowing they, they couldn't understand a word of English, but to say, you know, that place is a pit. Uh, we're, we're going to a place where you're going to have a mom and a dad, and you're going to have a loving home, and you're going to have Happy Meals and Legos and... <laughs> But they couldn't understand that, yeah. and that kind of drove me to, to what the Apostle Paul is getting at when he talks about adoption in Galatians 4. And he says, why do you want to go back to uh, the slavery in which you mm-hmm. once were? And it, it just hit me that uh, there's kind of a pull in all of us as sinners to want to go back to the orphanage, mm-hmm. uh, to, to want to be on our 
on our own again and not to be received as sons and daughters. That's and yeah. uh, after time, part of what the gospel does is to adjust us to being in a home where we don't have to perform and, and we don't have to uh, work for our wages. We're instead received as sons and daughters. Now, you chose two sons, and you named them, right? Timothy and Benjamin. Timothy and Benjamin, that's why, right. Why those names? Well, uh, one of them, Timothy, we had planned all along because of Timothy in the New Testament. But mm-hmm. the other, we planned to name Andrew Fuller more mm-hmm. after one of my favorite yeah. uh, Baptist uh, theologians. But when we arrived there, we were about to take them home, and the uh, orphanage uh, personnel told us, said, this little boy we can't give you because he has a strain of hepatitis that uh, the Immigration uh, Naturalization Service won't allow him into the country because of this infectious disease. And uh, we were just devastated. We'd already grown attached to him. Mm. And the orphanage uh, workers said, well, we'll do another test, and we'll have it in the morning. And we went back to the house where we were staying, and I just prayed all night long for this child and had been reading through uh, Genesis. And in Genesis, when Joseph sends his brothers back to uh, to Jacob, uh, to, to bring Benjamin to him. Jacob gives Benjamin up, and he lets him go. Uh, but he says, if I'm bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we were praying through. And so when the next day when we arrived at the orphanage, and they said, you know, we did the test. Mm-hmm. We don't know how he we had this false result, but he doesn't have any hepatitis or anything else. We just said his name is Benjamin Jacob. Wow. <laughs> that's powerful, wonderful. Now, uh, God has blessed you and Maria with two other additional biological sons. And one more who is due any day right now. Oh, my goodness, you're breaking news here on the Beeson (laughs) Podcast. Wow. Um, Now, what must that be like? Because you you weren't able to have children for so long. Right. You you adopted uh, Timothy and Benjamin, and now, uh, soon thereafter, I assume, you have Jonah and Samuel, and now a third. And and now a third, that's right. Wow. And. You know, it is one of those things that I think the Lord used, uh, because if we had been able to just have children the typical way, I would have been a really bad father. Hmm. Because part of the problem that I had was that I had this sense of expectation. You get married, you have children, these things just happen. And, And the Lord had to get me to a point of repentance where I was willing to see children as a gift. Mm. And one of the things that he's also taught me in this is that there's no distinction in our household between the children who came in through adoption and the children who came in uh, through natural birth. Mm. I always tell people our uh, fourth son, Jonah, was born prematurely, uh, three and a half weeks premature, but I don't think of him as my premature son. Mm. I'm not ashamed mm. of that, but that's not his identity. Right. And Benjamin and Timothy came in through adoption, but I don't think of them as my adopted sons. Mm. These are just my sons, and they each have a story as to how they got here. But once they get here, uh, they're here, and they're they're my sons. That's great. Could you say a word about how they get along together? Do they? Oh, yeah. The four they, sons? They get along like any any four. <laughs> no different than you'd have with four uh, growing, squirming boys, I guess. That's right. That's <laughs> right. So they, they wrestle and, and uh, romp around, and, and they're best of friends. And uh, and so it, it's really a joy. Our, our house is very hectic and, and lively, but fun. I love the story you tell in your book about, uh, I think you were preaching in chapel at Southern, and the boys were asked to be a part of your introduction, kind of unbeknownst to you. And uh, they were asked questions about you. Is this your dad? Yes. And uh, Oh, yeah. He, what's, what's he going to preach about? 
Yeah, and Timothy responded and said he's going to preach Jesus. And, uh, <laughs> and they weren't that, primed for that. That was just, No, they weren't primed for that, but I, I was very proud of that. That's wonderful. Now, uh, I want to move our conversation just a little beyond your own personal story, as fascinating as that is, to say a little bit about, because I know this is a passion you have, of how to encourage believers and indeed churches mm-hmm. to adopt a culture of adoption. Mm-hmm. Say a little bit about what that means to you. Sometimes when churches start reading uh, James one twenty seven about the mandate upon Christians to care for widows and orphans, when they start seeing that from the very beginning of church history that Christians have been distinct uh, in the way that they've cared for orphans and for, for women in distress and, and others, mm. they start to say, well, how do we get a program here? And, and, and programs are helpful, but that's really secondary. Uh, the, the primary thing is simply to get people to start praying and to ask, how do we care for widows and orphans? Mm-hmm. Uh, break, break our hearts in such a way for widows and orphans that we're going to be able to care for them. Because, frankly, that's going to manifest itself in different ways with different believers. Not every believer is called to adopt. Not every believer is called to foster care. Indeed, there are many believers that they shouldn't adopt or, or foster children. God hasn't, God hasn't given them the giftedness to do that. But everybody can care for orphans and for widows in some way. Uh, if, if only helping families within the church financially or emotionally or, or in prayer support mm-hmm. as they adopt or foster, or uh, taking in uh, teenage uh, or, or other young women who are pregnant in a time of crisis uh, into homes, or frankly, just being the kind of congregation that is signaling to uh, young women who are pregnant, uh, we're not going to judge you, we're not going to condemn you, we love you and we love your children because Jesus does. Mm. I mean, that, all of that is, is involved in loving, in loving widows and orphans. Mm. And so sometimes when people will say to me, I, don't, I want to care for orphans or I want to care for widows, but I don't know how, uh, my response to that is to say, well, simply pray for the desire, for God to direct your desires in the right way and your opportunities in the right way, and the rest of it will fall into place. And then typically what I see happening is that once you have a church in which one or two people start adopting or fostering or caring for widows and orphans in some way or other, it creates a kind of culture within the congregation that others start doing it because it's not an abstract category anymore. It's not orphans. It's little Connor or little Chloe that yeah. I taught in vacation Bible school. And one of the things that, that I've seen happen is that churches that start welcoming in uh, children and, and women who are in crisis tend to be the kind of churches that start uh, breaking down other barriers as well. I was in a church in deep south Alabama, uh, kind of a very traditional Southern Baptist church mm-hmm. that uh, that was the most integrated uh church of that sort that I had ever been in, of African-American people and white people together. And I said to the pastor, how did this happen? And he said, well, they had families who started adopting children of a different ethnicity than they were, and that changed. Uh, you know, you had these these uh, grandparents who suddenly their grandchild is an African-American child. That changes the way that they see uh, the racial issue completely. And barriers start coming down. I think mean, it's a very, very healthy thing the Spirit is doing. That's one of the things you talk about in your book is the whole question of interracial adoption and how Christians can look at that in a different way because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Right, That's because right. we have been we have been uh, adopted into a family. Those of us, at least those of us who aren't Jewish, we've been adopted into a family uh, of a different ethnicity yeah. than we are, and we've been received. That's wonderful. Again, you know, it's relating the the fact of adoption uh, back to the theology of adoption. That, that's one of the great contributions of your book, I believe. It, you really ring the changes on that in a great way. Well, thank you. Uh, let me ask you one more thing. What would you say to a church, a congregation that says, well, this is great, this adoption stuff. Sure, you know, we ought to care for ch- widows, orphans. Uh, but uh, what really matters is evangelism. It's winning mm-hmm. lost people to Jesus. So in terms of prioritizing, we, d- we just can't give attention to orphan care because we want to put our bucks and our time and investment in evangelism. What would you say to a, an argument like that? Well, two things. The first thing is that adoption and orphan care is evangelistic. Uh, you're, you're bringing into Christian homes children who are going to be raised in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord uh, and, and within the teaching of, of the church. That is evangelism. You also are ministering often uh, not just to orphans, but to birth mothers and to others, uh, that, that now you have an ability to share uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ in, in word and in deed, uh, as the scripture tells us to do. But also because a church that is outward focused is outward focused. So a church that, that loves children in the name of Jesus is going to be the kind of church that also receives uh, new believers. Uh, I mean, frankly, the kind of thing that it takes for a church to bear with a child who's been adopted with fetal alcohol syndrome or with AIDS or addicted to crack cocaine and to, to love that child and to receive that child is the very same kind of impulse it takes to receive a new believer who mm. is coming out of an addiction to heroin or coming out of homosexuality or coming out of, of any number of other of other things. It teaches and trains you to Galatians 6. Uh, bear with family members uh, in in the unity of the spirit. So I have yet to see a congregation that is that is directed toward widows and orphans that isn't evangelistic. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of congregations that are inward focused. They don't care about people on the outside evangelistically or in terms of ministry uh, that that have abandoned evangelistic fervor. But I haven't seen that with those who who are trying to be obedient to Jesus. My guest today on the Beeson Podcast is Dr. Russell Moore. He's the Dean of the School of Theology and Senior Vice President for Academic Administration at uh, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, He is the father of four, soon-to-be-five children. That's right. Do we know whether the fifth is a boy or a girl? The fifth is a boy. So five sons. Wow, Russ. (laughs) That's amazing. He and his wife, Maria. Uh, Two of these sons were adopted from Russia And he's written a wonderful book called Adopted for Life, The Priority of Adoption for Christian Families and Children. It's available from Crossway Publishers. I recommend it strongly to you. It's it's a great read. It's a great story. And interwoven through it all is the marvelous grace of God revealed in our own adoption as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. Russ, thank you for this book, and thank you for being an example of the Christian faith and the Christian life lived out uh, in your own family. That's a wonderful thing you've done for us all. Well, thank you for, for having me, Dr. George, and I appreciate so much your witness and that of Beeson Divinity School, and so glad to, to co-labor with you in the gospel. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. 
You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.